0: The special podcasts about horror films that we do here at American Hauntings are some of our most popular episodes. It seems that people who love haunted history also love horror movies, too. I know that I do. In fact, horror movies were sort of my gateway drug into the world of the supernatural when I was a kid. I like ghost stories and hauntings. I love horror movies all year round, but they seem to be especially popular Halloween when the world just seems to be a little bit spookier. Every Halloween, Cody and I put together a podcast to talk about our favorite horror films. And over the last few years, we've been breaking down our favorites by the decade, and this year is no exception. But before we get to that special episode, I have another one for you that fits pretty well as an addition to our current Haunted Hollywood season of the show. It's a short look at some horror films that you definitely have never heard of, and one so lost and mysterious we'll never be able to review them on the podcast. Finally, we'll also look at a film that was delayed for years because of the rumors that actual ghosts had imprinted themselves on the film that was being used in the vintage cameras they shot the movies with. Truth or a good marketing ploy? Well, you can decide. Horror has been such a part of films that some of the very first moving pictures ever produced were horror movies. People of the late 19th century, when movies first became popular in small nickelodeons in America and Europe, loved horror. This was the era of Dracula, Doctor Jekyll and Mr Hyde, and the Grand Guignol in Paris. This was a live stage show that thrilled audiences with simulated gore on stage. So when movies came along, it was only natural that horror films were immediately put into production. The very first horror film ever made was one called The House of the Devil, and it was made in 1896 by George Méliès, the first director to really tell stories with his films. He would become much better known for his trip to the moon, with its iconic image of a rocket ship that lands by hitting the man in the moon in the eye. Anyway, you can actually find this film today. It was considered lost until a copy turned up in New Zealand in 1988. It's mostly just a series of sketches, though, that starts with a bat turning into Mephistopheles, the agent of the devil. He conjures up demons from a cauldron, which were some pretty early special effects, but really aren't that special, and then goes on to prank a couple of men who enter a castle. In the end, one of the men uses a crucifix to make him disappear. That same year, Mele's made a horror comedy called A Terrible Night, about a man who tries to get a good night's sleep in a country inn, sees a spider on the wall, swats it down, and stomps on it. He dumps the dead spider in his chamber pot and then goes back to bed, but has trouble falling asleep, or so he thinks. He's actually dreaming when the spider comes back to life as a giant version of itself, or really as a... Paper mache prop controlled by a wire. Um, He ends up in a wrestling match with the spider and of course, hijinks ensue. Obviously these short films didn't take long to make because Meles was back at it again a few months later with one called The Nightmare. The first film that used psychological horror. Once again, we have a man in bed trying to fall asleep but this time, a beautiful woman appears next to the bed. He tries to kiss her and she transforms into a minstrel, dances on the bed, and then becomes a scary clown. Yikes. The background changes and the man suddenly finds himself on a balcony where an enormous moon with a creepy face leers down at him. The moon suddenly gets even bigger, bites the man's arm, and then laughs as he cries in pain. This marks the return of the woman, the minstrel, and the clown, sending the man to hide under the blankets on the bed until they go away. Riveting? No. But interesting to see some of the tropes that would become familiar ones for horror films in the decades to come. The following year, 1897, marked the release of The X-Ray Fiend by George Albert Smith, which incidentally came out just two years after X-rays were invented. To an audience unaware of how they worked, this must have been a pretty frightening concept. Unfortunately, there's not much story to the film. It begins with a man and a woman talking to each other while being watched by a scientist. He turns on an x-ray machine and watches them talking as skeletons, an effect that was achieved by wearing glowing black body suits. After he turns the x-ray off, the pair have an argument and break up. And that's it. The film, like so many others from the era, doesn't have much of a plot. But it's interesting that before Smith made the movie and began dabbling in photography and filmmaking, he also worked as a stage hypnotist and a psychic medium. And that may have had something to do with Smith's next film, which was called Photographing a Ghost. It came out in 1898. This film, uh, which is unfortunately now lost, this is one you'd actually like to see, is about three men who attempt to photograph a ghost in a haunted house, only to fail every time. Each time the spirit escapes, it throws chairs at them. What made this film special, or, well, it would be if we actually got to see it, was that a year prior to its release, Smith patented a method to make double exposures on film. This means that the ghost in the movie wasn't merely an actor in a sheet. It was a transparent figure that must have looked like a real ghost to audiences at the time. Well, in 1888, George Melis was back again. He made his first attempt at using double exposures in a film called The Cave of the Demons. Well, this film was lost, and there's no record of the plot, the cast, or the crew, so I can't tell you what it was about. Another ghost story was filmed in 1898. It was called The Miser's Doom, directed by Walter R. Booth. It's about a cranky old miser who's haunted by the ghost of a poor woman he took money from. The trauma of this encounter makes him die of shock. Booth was a stage magician before he started making what were called trick films. This was a genre that was designed for the sole purpose of showing off special effects. Remember that movies were still in their infancy at the time, and very few of them had plots, which makes these horror films special. At that time, most audiences were content to simply watch people, animals, trains, and city scenes while sitting in a Nickelodeon. The creation of special effects wowed audiences, which led to greater demand for films that offered a story. Because scary films were most in need of effects, we can thank horror for giving us the narrative films we all love today. The European filmmakers pushed American movie makers into upping their game at the end of the 19th century. The Edison Film Company released its first attempt at horror in December 1898 with The Cavalier's Dream, a very short film, 75 feet in length, Um, that featured an old witch turning into a young beauty, followed by the appearance of the devil himself. And the devil showed up again in the mystic swing in 1900, and a year later, ghosts were added to Edison's repertoire with a movie called Uncle Josh in a Spooky Hotel. Yes, that was actually the title. It was a continuation of a comedy series featuring a homespun actor named Charles Manley, who comically fights with a ghost. There were other attempts to spook people around this time, but the December 1903 release of The Great Train Robbery changed movies forever. By 1907, movies were attracting as many as 2 million patrons a day, and movie makers were forced to create films with actual stories. This would help horror films make great strides in the years to come. Some of the early silent horrors included the first attempt at filming Frankenstein by the Edison Company in 1910. It's pretty bad, and the monster, played by Charles Ogle, looks ridiculous. There was an adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1911, the Egyptian mummy in 1914, and films based on the work of Edgar Allan Poe in the years that followed, even though the Allen in his name was misspelled in all the promotional stuff. Plenty of other lost and forgettable horror films followed during the silent era. They didn't really reach their stride until the release of the German Cabinet of Dr. Caligari in 1919, John Barrymore's version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that same year, The Cat and the Canary, Nosferatu, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Phantom of the Opera, and the rest of Lon Chaney's thrillers, and a film that purports to be a documentary about witches that still holds up today called Haxon. And if you can find it, watch it. It is actually really well done and kind of terrifying. Well, horror has remained a constant in Hollywood ever since, giving us some of the most memorable movie experiences of all time and creating eerie legends that go beyond what you see in the movies. We've all heard about cursed films, those movies that seem to attract bad luck and even paranormal events. We've heard about the strange number of deaths associated with poltergeist and the tragedies that surrounded the making of The Omen. The mysterious accidents and the deaths that occurred while making The Exorcist, which led to a Jesuit priest being brought in to bless the set, have become the source of terrifying Hollywood lore. But what about a film that is actually haunted? So haunted, in fact, that ghosts are said to have appeared in the finished prints of the film. This isn't a story about the ring in which a cursed video cassette causes the deaths of those who watch it. No, this is allegedly a true story about a movie called Return to Babylon. It was directed by Alex Monte Kanwadi, and over the last 10 years or so, it's gained quite a reputation. And whether that's manufactured or not, well, that remains up to you to decide. But if you believe that it might be possible to photograph and record the spirit world, then you might be open to the claims that have been made about this film. According to Kanwadi's story, he and his producer discovered 19 rolls of vintage 16mm film that had been abandoned on a Hollywood Boulevard sidewalk one afternoon. Deciding that it was fate, they decided to write a movie that could use the old black and white film. They would even use vintage equipment to make it with. The result was Return to Babylon, which was filmed entirely with old, hand-cranked film cameras using the vintage film. The plot of the movie focuses on the scandals of some of the most famous movie stars of the 1920s, like Clara Bow, Gloria Swanson, Fatty Arbuckle, Max Sinnott, William Desmond Taylor, Rudolph Valentino, Douglas Fairbanks, and a bunch of other people who will eventually end up in episodes of our Haunted Hollywood season of the podcast. In addition, it was filmed in homes and locations all around Hollywood, including the original home of Rudolph Valentino, Falcon's Lair, the Norma Talmadge Estate, and the Magic Castle in the Hollywood Hills. They also managed to put together a Decent cast that included Jennifer Tilly, Debbie Mazar, Ioni Skye, Tippi Hendren, and Maria Conchita Alonso. Not long after production started, though, so did the problems. According to some of the cast, including Jennifer Tilly and Debbie Mazar, strange things were happening on the set and at the locations. The cast and crew complained of odd events, and Jennifer Tilly in particular described feeling watched and touched by unseen forces during filming. There were claims of feeling otherworldly, oppressive entities lurking about, and in some cases, crew members stated their equipment had been tampered with while no one was around. This activity continued throughout the entire shoot. But what the actors didn't know was that Kanwadi had started to notice strange things in the editing room. Mysterious figures began appearing in the negatives, sometimes as bizarre shadows, but in other sequences as full-bodied apparition. The faces of dead actors, such as Lon Chaney, began manifesting in some shots. In other scenes, the figures looked like skeletons and demons. These entities appeared out of thin air and none of them had been present when the movie was filmed. Even worse was the unexplained changes that occurred in the faces of the actual cast. Frightening and grotesque changes occurred, making their faces distorted and hideous. Their hands appeared stretched with webbed fingers. Their mouths were twisted in agony, and there was no explanation for how any of this had occurred. The strange activity in the film was brought to the attention of the Brooks Institute of Photography, as well as several photographers and paranormal researchers, all of whom were ready to prove the anomalies were fake. But allegedly, none of them could. They had no idea what had happened with the film. Well, one possible explanation was that the effects were created using animation, but this seemed hard to believe because the film's budget was too small to afford the cost. Another explanation suggested that by merging film running at 16 frames per second with digital video running at 24 frames per second, it could cheaply create the impression of something paranormal. But that was only a guess. No one knew for sure. The film was released, I guess you could say that, in 2012 and went absolutely nowhere. Kanwadi couldn't find a distributor for it. It was only 75 minutes long and the stories about it were, well, just too weird. This created an even bigger legend for the film since no one had actually seen it. The stories grew and now with its failed release added another layer, that the film had brought bad luck and financial ruin to its director. But was any of it true? Or was the story just concocted to build up buzz for an upcoming film? Well, you can decide that for yourself, believe it or not. In 2019, the film was uploaded to YouTube, and you can now watch it in its entirety. No spoilers here, but I can tell you it's not very good, and you'll have to endure some pain to make it through to where the stuff you've been waiting for finally shows up. What you really think is happening then, well, I'll leave that entirely up to you. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode for the American Hauntings podcast for the Halloween season of 2020, the scariest year ever. It was edited and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor, which is me. Have a happy, very haunted Halloween season.